You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Me talking to you tonight uh, on the idea of fractions. Say fractions. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you, God, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in us. God, we thank you that you've taken broken people and confused people, average people, and God, that you've made us whole, that you've filled us with a supernatural love that something that we couldn't muster up with our own human emotion. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have transformed us into a people of mission and purpose, that when we find you, we find everything. When you snagged us out of our mess and you ripped us out of the lifestyle that we were living, Lord God, that we found true life. And God, we as kingdom people, we as a a tribe or a clan that has given our whole lives to a person. God, tonight we just remember, Lord God, who you are. We ask that our minds would cling to you and our hearts would drift towards you. And Lord God, that you would cause us to just, to just truly grow in love tonight. We love you. And everybody said amen. amen. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying here. We're all familiar with this. It's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And so all of us are familiar with the concept that when the God of the ages, the incarnate God, God becomes a man, when God becomes a man and God prays a prayer, we know by virtue of the fact that he's God, that when God prays, there's really a good chance that God's prayers are answered. There's really good chance that when the second person of the Trinity prays to the first person of the Trinity, that whatever is requested is going to happen. And so when we read Jesus' request here, when we read Jesus' prayer, we know for sure that Jesus' prayer gets answered. And so he's praying specifically for you. He's praying specifically for your life. He's praying specifically a prayer about what things you have the capacity to cultivate in your life. So this prayer isn't just a random prayer that we find, you know, buried in the New Testament. It's not just a random thing. This truly is a prayer that... If you pray and you ask God to cause this to burn within you, this is something that he wants to do in you. So imagine Jesus, he's about to embrace the cross. In the next chapter, he's arrested and John's going to record his version, the very last thing before Jesus goes to the cross and he gives this prayer. It's Jesus praying to the Father. You know, most of us have seen movies or we've ran images in our mind of what it would be like for Jesus about to go through literally the most difficult moment in human history in terms of dying on the cross and he's going to sweat blood and that whole dynamic, you know, right here is what this, this, this prayer going on. And Jesus is praying, verse 23, he says, I and them and you and me, may they, speaking of us, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and that you have loved them, speaking of you, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, I want, or New King James, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am, but to see my glory. Intriguing. We could stop there and spend some time there on Jesus' desire for you to see his glory. The glory you, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I could imagine Jesus just writing about, you know, 150 web pages on that one concept. The measure of the love that existed in God the Father for God the Son prior to creation. (laughs) Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Here it is. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. In order that the love you have for me, the kind of love that exists in your heart, Father, the perfect love, the fullness of love, the love that's infinite, the love that never ceases, the love that never ends, the love that has 
zero um, wrongness in it. I mean, the, perf- the perfect love, the fullness of love, in order that that love may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. And so here Jesus prays this prayer. He's praying for you. And he's praying that the kind of love that exists in the heart of the Father, the kind of love that exists in the Godhead prior to creation would exist in the heart of the redeemed human being. And so this isn't just Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, I'm going to try to love Jesus with some of my heart. I want you to take it up a notch and I want you to imagine the uncreated God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, living in eternity past, backwards. And Jesus now on the earth and he's praying to his Father, hey, the kind of love that you possessed for me prior to creation. Hey, gee, hey, Father, I want that kind of love to exist in the heart of the people that I'm going to die for. Those that will willingly choose me. That's a, that's a lot of love. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around. It's fullness of love. It's hard for us to think in terms of the fullness of love because most of us have so many things kind of with hidden agendas when we talk love talk that it's hard for us to place an image of God with perfect love. Perfect love. Most of us, when we live out our lives, we have so many different agendas and they're so lacking wholeness in terms of fullness, in terms of purity, in terms of perfect love. That's hard for you to imagine a perfect love of God. A.W. Tozer says that the most important thing about your walk with God is what your image of God is, how you view God. And I believe that tonight we need to talk a little bit about what it looks like that he possesses for us perfect love. When that starts to throb within your heart, when that starts to cause your heart to swell, it's easy to love God back. Fractions. We're talking about fractions. Everybody knows fractions. Kids know fractions, right? You don't have to teach kids fractions. Kids automatically understand the idea of fractions. My daughter Olivia, she understands fractions. When you pull out a cookie and you want to split it between Olivia and Dawson, she doesn't want half the cookie. She knows she wants the whole cookie, right? She doesn't want, and if, the, and if you break it, she doesn't want the one that's one third. She wants two thirds. She can look at it and she can see I mean, she can see it. She wants the whole thing or she wants the biggest piece. We know fractions. We, we're, we're around fractions all the time. You're you, just saying it even beyond your math class. You live with fractions. You think about it. You've got, you've got 168 hours in a week, 24 hours in a day, 52 weeks in a year, you know. You, you, in terms of your time management, a fraction of your time is going towards different things. Some of you in the average day, a fraction of your time is going to sleep. Some of you, far too many, Men, in the furnace accountability, we need to work on that. Some of you guys, you're given a fraction towards college. Some of you are given a fraction of your time towards um, eating. Some of you are a fraction of your time towards uh, driving in the car, long periods of time. Some of you are giving long periods of time to hanging out with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You know fractions. You know what it is to have X amount of time and spend it, you know, give a fraction to one thing, a fraction to another. You know fractions, stomachs. Give a fraction to Starbucks, fraction to Chili's, fraction to, very small fraction to free-range chicken and organic vegetables. We know fractions. If you've got an iPod and you've got 80 gigs, you put a very huge fraction towards worship, very small fraction towards the office and godless TV programs and 79 gigabytes towards sermons, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We know what it is. We know what, the, we, know what, we know what fractions are. We know what it is to divide up. I think that inevitably, a lot of times, when we start to think about the God who possesses perfect love, without realizing it, we think in fractions. Okay, there's just six billion people on the earth. He's the God of infinite love. There's been, you know, say, 6,000 years of human history. Yeah, he may possess love, but 
I mean, six billion people here on the planet. I feel good, you know, just to know that I'm not left out. Maybe I've just got a little bit of love, you know, got a piece of God's heart. And sure, sure, it's infinite, so there's lots of it, but, you know, a little bit of love for him, a little bit for her, a little, you know, a little bit for me. I'm just glad to not be left out. God loves me. Okay, well, God loves her too. God loves me too. And I want you to reel back from that for a minute. And I want you to think about the, God's capacity to love you in fullness apart from even considering the other six billion people on the planet or even considering the last 6,000 years prior to you. And I want you to think in terms of a God who possesses so much love for you as an individual that there's no fractions. It's infinite and it's for you. Because when that concept, when that idea starts to go inside of you, when you start to believe that and see, see that, it starts to transform your heart. Zephaniah 3.17, we're familiar with, says that he sings songs, you know, over us. I've heard a lot of people preach on that. I want you to imagine not a singing God, you know, that's just kind of singing over humanity, but every young couple has experienced the time where you had your song, you know. It comes on the radio, the flood of emotions. Oh. Most of you now have been through enough breakups that when you hear the radio and that song comes on, you turn it off. But I want you to imagine not God singing a song over humanity, but I want you to imagine God who possesses the ability to love you in fullness, thinking upon you and singing his own love song over you. I'm not talking a romantic love song. I'm talking about the God who is perfect in love. It says in Zephaniah 3 that he loves you, that he sings songs over you. And I believe in your own journey as you pursue God, if you'll lock in with this being a very personal in terms of you and God, just you and God specifically, not a philosophical concept of a God that possesses love, but a God that is love and has love specifically over your life. Not a, not a fraction, not sharing one six billionth and you know the other six billion people on the earth get some too. No, no. The fullness of love from one being to another, and you're the receiver. The God who loves you. 1 John 4, 16 says that God is love. That God, his essence, who he is, is love. God possesses an infinite amount of love. There's no end to it. You can't measure it. And God has the capacity and the ability to love you and get this, even in the midst of your weakness, with the fullness of an authentic, true love. What does love look like? I mean, what is love? Love at its core is passion for someone else's highest good. And God, who created you, has that kind of passion, love, desire for you. I mean, when you start to think about what does love look like? I mean, what is love? Why, why did God create? Why? Why are you here? Why do you exist? I mean, was God hanging out up in heaven and like looking for some people to clean his golden streets and being like, yo, Jesus, let's make some people, you know? No. Was God up there, was he bored and being like, hmm, Jesus, Holy Spirit, y'all's company is boring me. Here, let's, uh, let's make some people. No. He didn't lack anything. There was nothing within God that lacked. There was, he, didn't, he didn't create humanity because he lacked something. No, but the essence of love, the nature of what love is, is to give. It's passion for something else. It's an overflow, an over an existence of wonderfulness to give out, to demonstrate. And so imagine perfect love a trillion years going backwards and out of the overflow of the love that God possesses God creates and you can see it all throughout the Old Testament I mean he's looking for people to love 
And the whole way, you know, with Israel, he's like, I, I'm looking to love a people. Will there, will there be a people that will love me back? I just want to love a people. All I want to do is I want to love a people. I want to take care of a people. I want to give myself to a people and I want those people to give themselves to me. And God in his passion, in his love, God creates. You were made. You were created by God for the purpose of receiving love. A lot of people can't buy that. A lot of people end up measuring their worth based upon their performance, based upon outward circumstance, based upon how well they keep the law, based upon their action. But write this down and take this to the bank. You were created to receive love, to be loved. You have a longing within you to be loved. You have a desire. You don't work right without feeling loved, without knowing that you're loved. That's why every seventh grade boy that is looking, you know, to be accepted will join any group that will accept him. I don't know from experience. Any ninth grade girl, any senior in college is looking to be loved. You work best as a loved person. Why? Because from the very beginning of the world, God, in his overabundance of love, created something inside of you that longs, that yearns to connect with the reason you were created to receive love. I don't care what imagery or what metaphor you want to put on that for you to understand it in your mind. But the most powerful thing that you can understand is that you were created to be loved and to love back. That's why you exist. That is who you are. No, I'm a 20-year-old guy with 18 college credits and I have seven girls that I've asked out that have turned me down and that's who I am. I exist to be rejected, you know? No. No, I'm created to fulfill this purpose or this thing in my generation. I'm created, I'm created to be a missionary. That's an added blessing. I'm, no, no, no. I'm created to be a pastor. No, you might get there one. That's an added blessing. God will use even donkeys to accomplish his purpose. He will. Added blessing. Why were you created? Why do you exist? You're created to be loved. One of the things I found with college students, 20-year-olds, dedicated themselves at 14. They said, let's go for it. I'll give everything to God. Sang the song, bought the t-shirt, went home to the youth group. You know, had sex with the girl, did the drugs, felt depressed and gave up. So ended up in a half-hearted state, not really believing that God could love them now at age 19 like he would have at 15. Put in your story where you failed, inevitably. Put in my story where I failed. One of the things that keeps us distant from God is this little wall that we place up where we won't really receive God's love. We'll sing about it, you know, We'll sing songs to God. We'll sing that he loves us. And deep down, we know that that's true. And we can debate it with our Bibles open at Starbucks and cognitively think about it. And we'll discuss it with our friends and we'll have the hope that one day it will penetrate our heart. You know, one day, maybe when I'm 25, maybe when I'm 35, maybe when I'm 40, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'll have done enough right things that I'll actually be able to break down, receive the love of God, feel healed, feel free, and be okay. And so in that, oftentimes what we do is we, day in and day out, we don't receive the fullness of how much God loves us in that moment, every moment. Because we've created a little wall that says, surely not. Surely you can't love me in the midst of the decisions that I've made and even the choices I'm making on this day. 
Surely not. Surely the God who has perfect love couldn't love a mess like me. Surely not. I remember as a um, second grader playing soccer and I was uh, one of those last few minutes soccer players, you know, the kid on the team that once we were up by eight or nine goals, I went in the last couple minutes just to seal the victory. One of those amazing athletes that got the last couple token minutes because your parents had paid the $25 to the Parks and Rec. And we were up, I remember a soccer game, it was my uh, second grade year, we were, we were up, I think it was eight to two or something like that. And I went in with a few minutes left, went in with my very cool hiking boots and jeans as the other kids were in umbros and cleats and shin guards. My father thought shin guards were for wimps. <clears throat> My father also decided that for us to spend money on those things was a waste of earthly mammon. And so I would wear whatever I wore to school that day to the soccer game. But I remember it was a Wednesday after school, a 4.30 game and University of Idaho was just up the hill and these were the soccer fields right at the bottom of the hill and across, right next to that, like across the street was this restaurant row. One of the restaurants was my favorite, McDonald's. And I went in with three minutes left just to seal the victory and the extremely cocky coach's son was right next to me as always. And as always, he dribbled the ball down to the goal. And I often tried to like, you know, get close to the mob. But I didn't want to get hurt or kicked in the shin and I didn't have shin guard. So I always kind of stayed a little bit away. But I wanted a few token kicks just to look like I was trying. And one of the greatest moments in my sportsman history was when his name was Gilbert. When Gilbert went to kick the goal and he was dead on straight ahead, right in front of the goalie, and he went to kick it, but he missed it and he sliced it. He hit the right side of the ball. I was standing over on this side. The ball didn't go straight forward. It jerked over this direction, which knocked the goalie off, bounced off my knee, and rolled in the corner of the goal on that side. Thank you very much. It's my first goal. I think it was my last of that season. <laughs> and immediately following the game, my dad took me to McDonald's. He said, son, he looked up, get whatever you want. Now let me give you context because I was a triplet. You know, my sisters and I, we didn't ever get whatever we wanted. When we would go to McDonald's, we got the same thing every time. All three of us got waters, no french fries. I had a hamburger, Deborah had a cheeseburger, and Dana got a fish fillet. It was the way it always worked. All waters, that's it. And so I looked at my dad a little bit shocked, and I said, anything I want? He said, anything. And I had always dreamed of one day getting one of the pictures, you know? I'd always dreamed of one day saying I'd like a number two <laughs> with a Coke. And I said, even one of the pictures, he said, you can have even one of the pictures. And I smiled really big and I looked at my dad and I said, Father, no, you know, I'm not going to get anything today. Don't deserve a reward Gilbert kicked the ball. I was lucky. Woe is me. I don't want to like hurt you. And so I'm not going to receive this free gift that you're offering me. Are you kidding me? I looked at my father and I said, can I get two? Can I get three? Can I take some to my friends in caravans at church tonight? And I ordered big. I ordered up. You know what a lot of us do? We think it's about our attainments. 
Romans, it says, while we were still powerless, middle of our mess, Christ died for the ungodly. While you were still in the midst, living even in the midst of your weakness, even in the midst of your mess, God loved you. And what a lot of us do is when God says, hey, listen, I have the fullness of the knowledge of my love available to you. I want you to experience it today. I want you to experience it all day today. I want you to know how deeply I love you. A lot of us, without thinking through it emotionally, what we do before God is we go, no, I'm not worthy. Surely there's a better soccer player out there. Surely Gilbert deserves this and I don't. It would be a farce. It would be wrong. It would be just not right for me to take this. But the reality of that moment at McDonald's for me, it wasn't about the soccer goal that I scored. It wasn't about the attainment that I achieved on the soccer field, was it? It was about the fullness of my father's kindness, looking for a way and an opportunity to try to express love for his boy. And even if his boy doesn't score the goals, even if his son is standing off to the side, but it bounces off his knee and luckily goes in, he goes, ha ha, there's a reason to party. Let's celebrate. And you have a father, you have a God that loves you so much and is filled with so much delight over your life, even now, even after the mistakes that you've made. Even after the decisions that you've made, right where you're living today, not five minutes ago, not five years ago, in this moment, in this very instant, he loves you to the fullness of any being could possibly love. He loves you, John 59, as he loves his son at 724 on Thursday night right now. And he does in five minutes, and he does in 15 minutes, and he does in 30 minutes. His love for you isn't going up and down. The very fullness of the love of God is for you in this instant as it was a week ago and a month from now. In every moment, the very fullness of God's love, what God has in perfect love is is able to be experienced by the human heart that's willing to receive it. It's available now. And now. And now. Doesn't... It doesn't fade in and out. It doesn't come and go. His es- the essence of his love never changes. The fullness of his love never changes. There's no fractions in his love. It's whole. He's not a God of fractions. He gave everything. When he gave his son. He gave his own life. And you know what he wants from us? You know very well. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Love the Lord your God with all, 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 all your heart. He's not the God of fractions that goes, give me, give me, give me what you got. Just give me a little bit. He says, I want, I want all of your heart. That's it. That's what I want. So when we ask ourselves a question, you know, well, why does that seem so hard? Why does that seem so hard for us? I'll tell you why. Because there's so many other things on planet Earth to love. And so for us to be someone that gives all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, everything that we are to one supreme God, for really honest, we go, that's, that's not that easy because there's so many other loves and I'll tell you this the reason why we choose the other loves is because we do not know the fullness the measure of his love for us 10,000 sins could be depleted if we would meditate on the love of God if we would have the love of God fill our hearts and our minds if we would cry out to God day after day God pour out your love to me. I want to see it. I want to know it. What you've already done for me, I want to experience it. What's already in me, I want to know it. I want it to be alive in me. I want to feel it. I want to sense it. I want it to be in my heart. I want it to be in my mind. I want it to be in my soul. I want the first commandment to be in first place, actually, in my own life. And I do want to know the love of God in fullness. 
easiest way to stop sinning. I promise you, I know this. The easiest way to stop sinning, to get rid of some of the other loves, is not to stare at those all the time and be like, God, why won't you give me the strength to help me stop? No, 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 no. Get the knowledge of the love of God inside of you. Meditate on it. Pray it. Ask God to reveal it to you. Study the scriptures that talk about it. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy, Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. Say, God, I want to know the fullness of love now. And, and now. And 10 minutes from now. And, and now. And, and now. If we'll meditate on the love of God, we'll be a transformed tribe. A transformed people. very easy to give in to the other loves. Pride. I want to be somebody. Lust. I want to take whatever my body craves. Greed. I want all the pleasures the planet has to offer. Fame. I want to go where everybody knows my name. Esteem. I want people to respect me. People to know that I'm doing something. I want to know people to know think that what I'm doing is value there's all these other loves but you have a God that created you and he is not out to crush sin because he's mean because he's heartless it's actually the fullness of his love why he wants to crush the sin that's in your heart or in your life turn with me to Deuteronomy 4 Verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's a consuming fire? He's a jealous God? Whoa. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, 2. I'll read it to you. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. All right, now we're getting somewhere. Why on earth? Why? Why do you and I, why do we battle these lusts of this world? What's going on? Sometimes we like to think of God as like the good side of God and the hard side of God, you know? Like the Santa side that wants to give me the blessings and we like that, you know? We listen to some of those preachers. (laughs) We read some of those books. But then there's that weird other side, that side that's gonna judge us. The side that's disciplining those he loves and hard side of God wanting me to not do things that I want to do sometimes in our brain we're trying to figure this out but let me tell you this sin can't exist with God and the reason why God disciplines judges wants to get those things out of you is not because he's a mean God. He's looking at you and he's like, oh man, how can I get Allie to just be better, reflect me better? All right, here we go. Back to work on Allie today. She's a, you know, a work in progress. Here we go. No. Write this down. God created you for relationship. He created you to feel and know and be loved by him. And God wants to destroy the sin that's destroying you. God wants to destroy the thing that keeps you from him. God wants to crush the thing that will keep you from being with him forever and ever. God wants to get rid of the thing that's hurting you. God wants to destroy, and he'll go through whatever it takes to crush the thing that's keeping you from him. If lust is the thing that's keeping you from him, 
If that's the thing that has the potential to separate you from him forever and ever, and he created you, he created you that he might love you, that he might know you, then what he wants to do is he wants to crush, he wants to destroy the thing that's destroying you. And that hurts us. That's hard. Because we're like going through it. We got people in our face asking us questions and telling us to stop or whatever. We got these dynamics where it's hard and we're wrestling with it. But the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of what God's doing is he's destroying the thing that destroys you. Why? Because there's a side of God that we can't understand. No, it's the fullness of love. Love goes down and says, I will not share her with anyone. I am a jealous God. I created that bride. I created that person for me. And this thing, that thing, that thing, that thing is keeping that person from me. And so God is like, I'm going to get rid of anything that's out to destroy you. But what that looks like in our lives, I mean, how awesome would it be if we were like, you know, we were the fellas and we're driving around, driving down the road and there's a billboard there, you know, and it's the swimsuit issue and we're like looking at it and all of a sudden, you know, fire comes, burns up the billboard. We're like, yeah, God likes us. It would be awesome, but it's not the way it works in our world. No, the way it works in our world is choices, it's determination, it's wrestling in prayer. It's getting other people around us to call us to righteousness. It's getting the word of God in us. It's us making choices that crush the little demonic things that try to keep us shackled to the planet. And God goes, I'll help you. I want to destroy that thing. You got to want to too. But I can promise you this. One of the greatest things about your journey is that you have a God and he wants to, that wants to destroy the things that are destroying you. He will help you. He hates it. When I was in college, I had a friend, his name was Philip, and he was going to be a missionary um, with his fiance. They were going to get married. And they were going to move to Jordan and be overseas missionaries there. During, uh, while he was working on his master's degree and his fiance was working on her undergraduate degree, while they were engaged, they were to be married that summer, uh, his wife, or his fiance, diagnosed with cancer as a college student. She died pretty quickly. It took over pretty quick. She died of cancer. I think it was three or four days prior to their projected wedding date, he was at our funeral. The next year, he and I were having coffee. To, to, he and I were having coffee together, sitting at 39th Street in Oklahoma City, Java Joint, hanging out. He began to tell me about one of the local high schools, Cancer Drive. I was a little dumbfounded. I wasn't really figuring it out. I was, trying to want, I was trying to figure out why he was talking about the local high school cancer drive. And with great fervor and with great passion, he was talking about the money that they had raised. And it wasn't too long before there was a little brief monologue where he began to talk about how much he hates cancer. Four years prior to that, he probably would have knew a little bit about cancer and hated it. But when cancer took the life of the one that he was supposed to spend his life with, the thing that destroyed her became the object of his rage. And this young man at 24, 25 years old, he was filled with rage. He hated cancer. Why? He hates the thing that destroyed his bride. He wants to raise money for cancer drives, even with high school kids, pinching pennies and putting nickels in big water bottles. Why? Take out the thing that took out his bride. He hates it. The one who loves you, he wants to destroy the thing that's destroying you. The God of the ages that you were created to spend an eternity with, to hang out with him, to know him, to walk with him, to love him. Eter I mean, 
His desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that every single one of us should know God and walk with him and be with him forever and ever. That's what he wants. That's why he created you. And when there is a roaring lion that's out to destroy you and all these little things, these little demonic pests that are keeping you earthbound, that are keeping you shackled to the planet, it is not the mean side of God. It is the love that's within him that says, I want to destroy the thing that's taking you out. I want to destroy the thing that's going to keep you from being with me forever and ever because sin can't be with me forever and ever and I gotta take that thing out and he wants to destroy the thing that's destroying you why because he loves you so much because he's filled with love for a bride because he's filled with love for his sons and his daughters and he wants to destroy the thing that's destroying you he has a plan and we like it when it's kind of pretty and sweet and we just get it out of the prayer time you and I know Sometimes it's harder than that. But he wants to get it out. He loves you and he will not share you. He wants all of your hearts. And no trick or scheme or lie of the enemy to get you to love one of the other loves of the planet will stop him from saying, I want all of that guy's heart. I want all of his affection. I don't want it to be in who he's going to be one day. I don't want it to be in that girl. I don't want it to, I want everything. And when he gets all your heart, you know the heart of a father, the heart of a bridegroom. And all these things will be added unto you. You know what I'm saying? It's the heart of a father. It's the heart of a bridegroom to give the best to their children, to give the best to their bride. And he, he wants you to have everything is yours. I mean, imagine one day we're going to sit, we're going to sit with him on his throne. We're going to be like, dang, this is all my, it's all for you. No, wait, oh yeah. I just wanted to be first. I shouldn't want any other idols, but it's all yours. See those people over there? Those are the people that chose to cling to the tatterings and the little goofy idols of the planet for the 70 years that they had on the earth. But these people that said yes to me, they ended up getting the blessings of God anyway. They ended up with a better life anyway. And all these things were added, i.e. eternity in our names, you know, engraved on golden streets. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if there's a Hollywood Walk of Fame in heaven. That'd be cool. Put Joe Couch's name right there next to Leonard Dober. That, and, and so when you start to see this journey like that, not as a schizophrenic God that's judging you and then loves you and then mad at you, and then, no, but in the fullness of his love, he says, I'm going to crush the thing that's destroying you. I'm in love with you. You're in love with me if I do well? No, I'm in love with you. You're in love with me if I pass the test, if I don't make out with the boy, if I don't lie, if I, no, I love you. piercing me to think that you could love me even without me performing oh that's why this is all about me and not about you oh God I didn't even score the goal I know this isn't about you scoring goals this is about my kindness oh. Romans 2 4 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance oh, you like me that much uh huh no way but I haven't done anything good I know And you know what the greatest moment for us as sons and daughters, for us as the beings that were created to receive love and then to reciprocate love back to God, is there will be a moment where the one who's out to take our love, the one who has set up a whole scheme to destroy you, Revelation 12.10, there will be a day that he is hurled down. And that's a great moment. Revelation 20.10 And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and will be tormented day and night. There'll be a day where the one who is out to destroy you, God will say, no more. I will, de I will destroy the one who made it his intention 
to destroy my bride. He'll be destroyed forever and ever. And it's our goal and it's our aim to defeat the enemy now. How? We know we're loved. We live in love and we love back. Will you stand with me? Josh, if you come up here real quick, I just want to pray for you. Just stretch out your hands like this. Some of you are just right now. You know the thing that's destroying you. And rather than seeing this as a moment where you got to come before God and repent yet again. I want you to come before God and I want you to say, God, in your love, will you destroy, will you help, will you destroy this thing? Just go ahead and name it out. The thing that's keeping you from reciprocating love back to God. The thing that's destroying you. For some of you, it's pride. For some of you, it's lust. For some of you, it's jealousy. For some of you, it's your pride. You're so caught up in your own intellect and you think you're so smart that you're consumed with yourself. For some of you, it's fear. I want you to say this to God, whatever it is, just want you to whisper it. Don't say it out loud, but just between you and God, just say, because you love me, crush this. I choose you and your love. Now, some of you need to just receive the love of God. You've been the person that believed that he loved you based upon your attainment. And so you're like the kid that says, no, I can't receive the good things from my father, the burger from my dad, because I really haven't done that much well. That paradigm needs to shift. You need to see that it's not about your attainment on the soccer field. It's not because of you. It's because of his mercy and his love and his kindness. And while you are still powerless, Christ died for you. And even in the midst of your weakness, your average, mediocre journey, he's in love with you. He chose you. He sings over you. He delights in you. He loves you. Holy Spirit, would you pour out the love of God into our hearts, God? God, how many sins would be averted if we lived in love? How many stumblings? How much heartache? how many divorces would be averted if we lived in love? How many broken nights striving to impress anyone would be gone if we lived in the holy romance, the love of God? Oh, we want to live in love, God. I don't want to just read about it. Those who lived in yesteryear.
God, we want to live in that reality today. God, let not the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of a globalized world and a wealthy American culture cause us to justify being shallow in the knowledge of God. We choose you. We want to hang out in the love of God. We want it to infiltrate our hearts as a, re, as a spiritual reality. We want to meditate it on our minds and have it be in, in our very brains. It's our topic of conversation. And it's the answer that we go to when we wrestle. Oh, we want to know the love of God. God, right now, you're loving us in infinite measure to the degree that you loved your son. Sometimes we think so quickly of verses like, first, you so loved the world, and we think of past tense, but right now, you're loving us. The very measure of love that caused you to send your son in that day, you're loving us right now. The fullness of the love of God. We want to live in love. We want to be a loved people. I pray that right now, every person here, you'd reveal fresh revelation of your love for them. More than a chapter in a systematic theology book. More than a song that we sang when we were kids. God, we want to uncover the knowledge of God every day. We want new revelations. Aha moments in God. We love you, God. We praise you and we give you thanks. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.